What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> he built a two-acre pond throughout tens of thousands of dollars and it's got like... Well, so, I'm giving him my old pontoon boat, my old float boat to use on that pond. Sound like you probably just wait across it right now. Yeah, you yeah. can, pretty much. <laughs> Let's get going. I'm Chase Winninger, host of the podcast, Lee McClellan, co-host. I hope everyone is doing well. Today's guest, Gabe Jenkins. How's it going, guys? Good to hear from you. Gabe, how do I describe you? Right now, you're the acting director of INE, but you've spent the majority of your time with Fish and Wildlife as a wildlife biologist and the um, deer and elk program coordinator, right? Correct, yep. So I was in, in the deer and elk program for 12 years, uh, was the coordinator for a little over four years. Gotcha. And then been over here in INE for right out of a year now. So the main things we want to hit on today are deer related. And that's why we got you here. You're the expert. We've got, I want to, I want to go over some of the trends and some of the numbers we're seeing in September and October, kind of look ahead to November. I've got a couple of questions to pick your brain about too. You know, I see people debating all the time. What, what, what causes the rut? Was right. the rut on? Uh, and I'm looking at the forecast for next weekend and it's going to be pretty warm. So I'm wanting to, I'm wanting to get your opinion on, you know, what really keys in on that deer activity or what causes it. I uh, wanted to go over some tactics for modern firearm season. People, I don't know, it, it kind of depends on if you're looking for a doe or a buck, but mm -hmm. maybe just give a couple of pointers and get your uh, opinions. I did kill a buck since our last podcast, so uh, I was thinking I probably need to talk about that, and that plays into tactics a little bit too. So you've cashed in yours? Was it a good one? Yeah, it was a good deer. I, I thought for sure you'd seen that by now. I'll, no, show, I'll no. show it to you here in a little bit. Yeah. A we're two for three because I'm tagged out on my buck too yeah. so at this point. It's so up to you, Lee. Control. It's up to you, Lee. It's all Lee. Yeah. And then uh, <laughs> the last thing I need to do, I need you guys to help me make a decision about what to do today because i got three options and they're tough ones. But uh, before we get going, <laughs> before we get going. If they involve work, that would be option three. Yeah, I was going to say, hunt, hunt, or hunt. <laughs> or fish. Or I guess fish. we can have a fish. You know, two of the three are hunt. I hadn't thought about fish yet, so maybe it's two yeah, of the four. There you hunt. go. <laughs> no, but uh, first, uh, you, you texted me a while back, Gabe, and you said you were looking to get your dad a fishing pole. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming your dad is yep. probably not a podcast listener. If he is, I hope his birthday's already come. No, yeah, he's got it already. All right. So, so did you pick one out for him? I did um, you know he was he's retiring and so the dude fishes like every day and he was I asked him I said what do you want for your retirement gift or what's what's something he's like I've really I really would like a nice fishing pole for like the river a, like, right like a big nice pole and he buys some of the cheaper stuff and just trashes it and mm -hmm. never has bought anything nice yeah. he's got a lot of them like well all right so I went down the deep dark hole of buying a, a nice rod for him and I'm not a super elite fisherman and, and that was so it was it was interesting. So you were really looking for a rod for the river form. Yeah, a river rod. Yeah. What'd you, what'd you get? I ended up with um, St. Croix. He 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 wanted a St. Croix. Yeah. And he can't just go wrong with them. I own maybe a dozen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He liked the name. He's like, I want a St. Croix. And I, I'm, to me, I still don't understand why he doesn't have a nice rod. I mean, the dude fishes every day. So some of the best fishermen I, I know have the cheapest gear. I know. He does. I know that. I mean, <laughs> he, he's got the cheapest gear, and he makes his own lures and. You know, he loves fishing at the dam. We have two dams close to us that are both, one's 10 minutes, one's 30 minutes. Yeah. And he just, he loves to do that. So I was looking for a, a long rod with a really fast action so yeah. he can feel that. He, he's a jig fisherman for the most part. So uh, it was fun. Good. 
Did you get the premier level or did you go the No, we went the, like the mid-level. Avid, that's the uh, yeah, SE3. That's, yeah. I've got one Avid rod and it's fantastic. I've yeah. got, yeah, I've only got one St. Croix. It's that cheaper one. It's cheaper. It's still a nice rod. <laughs> right. It's the one that Lee used at the river last time me and him fished. And mm -hmm. Lee yes. liked that one. Yeah, I did. I got a nice hybrid on it. Nice, nice. Yeah, we had a great day that day. And great pictures too. So yeah, that was for the magazine. You, okay. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, I've seen some of those. I was very envious of that day of you guys, as everybody was. It was fun. My only knock on the St. Croix I have is the grip. Yeah. If you fish with it for an hour or two, you're good. But if you go on a six or eight hour day, I mean, I, I've gotten blisters from it that I don't. Get I from still other like a traditional longer cork handle that I can brace against my mm -hmm. forearm when I've got a good fish on. Yeah. And uh, I, I know the split grip saves weight and gives you a little more sensitivity, but I still like, I just, I, I like having that brace. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Because it wears you out, those, especially those hybrids, yeah. they'll, yeah. man, they'll make your wrist hurt if you don't have anything to brace them against. I know where I struggled was like trying to think of uh, what he was targeting. You know, was, do I want a, a rod that could do everything or do I want more that's finesse for, for walleye or hybrids? And I know when he's catching hybrids, they catch a lot of them close, but then they're trying to get out of the boil, like the, the oh, yeah. turbines right mm -hmm. there close. Mm -hmm. So if you can chuck all the way across and get out of that and bring it back in, they they do really yeah. well, but you need a eight, nine footer to chuck it that far. Yeah, so and far. So it was hard to find that balance, and I just went with a, a smaller, more finesse, quicker tip for, for walleye for him. That's what I mean. I, my favorite hybrid rod is a seven foot one or seven foot five medium heavy with a fast action or extra fast tip. I use my inshore rod for them. Yeah. I take inshore fishing for yeah. the hybrids. It did great. It's a medium heavy power. Well, guys, what do you say we talk deer? All right. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, so now you're, you now you're in my realm. I'm yeah. kind of out there with fishing. <laughs> you picked pods. a good rod for him, though. He'll, he'll be happy with that. Yeah, he was that's, excited. That's, yeah. that's I was just stuff. curious if you, if you went and pulled the trigger on Yeah, I did. So, Gabe, I want to eventually get to what's coming up because that's what's probably most important to people, right? Because yep. that's what they still have to look forward to. Mm -hmm. But I think to get there, we need to start off with what's already happened. Mm -hmm. So I've got these graphs here that were sent out in emails. I know Lee recently wrote a press release. Mm -hmm. Well, Sierra wrote it, I just stole from it. So. Uh, about that. About <laughs> Thanks, Sierra. We appreciate that. <laughs> well, so, so looking at these numbers, Gabe, tell me a little bit, in your expert opinion, what we're looking at here. So what we're looking at as far as what the season's so far, we've had a great season. Um, September and October have been uh, above average, I think, as a whole, with the exclusion of um, the early muzzleloader. September, we think about early season, those two months, it's all about weather and that's what drives our harvest, weather and acorn production. Mm -hmm. So if we have a really cool September and there aren't a lot of acorns, we see a, a really high harvest usually. We had a good, fairly, a fairly cool September. We have a pretty good acorn crop. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, this year we, we had a, uh, the highest September harvest on record. Um, and, and to me, it's, it's two parts. One, because we had cool weather, and second, just because of participation. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing increases in everything in the number yeah. of hunters afield because of COVID. So we have a lot of interest there. And then now we're also in our second year of the, of the change in crossbows. Yeah. So we know when we implement a change, it takes about three years to find the new normal. So year one, you get, you get a reaction. Year two, you get another reaction. Mm -hmm. So what we're seeing is we saw a pretty significant increase in the crossbow harvest in September, but the traditional bow harvest was extremely high as well. So we're seeing that participation increase. I'm looking at it here. So 2015, is the, it was the highest September harvest before this year. And 2015 is also the record harvest for all years. Yep. 
and it looks like we beat in September the deer harvest over 2015 by about 1,300, mm -hmm. 1,330. Mm -hmm. So uh, September was, I mean, significantly up. Considering those harvests are only 6,600 in 2015, 1,300 is almost another 25% on top, almost yeah. another quarter of the deer that we're taking. And then it doubled last year. And I do agree with what you said about the weather. It seemed like September was cooler than almost feels like November. It was, yeah, <laughs> no, it, for sure. Yeah. So I mean, and, and I mean, it makes sense to us, and um, it's it's a good thing that people are out there. You know, because of COVID, like I said, we had a lot of interest. Um, September to me is always interesting. Most people think that our September hunters all oh, were shooting a bunch of bucks, but that's not the case. I mean, we've got a bunch of hunters who are itching to shoot something, and we mm -hmm. we're very doe heavy in September. Even opening weekend, we shoot more does than we do bucks, yeah. which is which is crazy to think. So, I mean, it's not this huge impact on the population. I mean, when you look Don't at the Don't you think whole, a lot of people are holding that buck tag in their back pocket? For, yeah, I, I for, think so. I mean, and, and then the season came in fairly late in September this year, mm -hmm. uh, the way the calendar falls. And so, you know, they're, everybody's targeting that velvet deer that first week in September. A lot of our bucks were already out of velvet. And so once they shed their velvet, they kind of move, they change their patterns. They go more nocturnal, they're harder to hunt and the does are still pretty consistent on a food source. And so that allows for a pretty high doe harvest in September. So, uh, you know, looking at the conditions and where we were makes complete sense to me. So even though we were 1,300 over in September from 2015, the record year, it, we're still 4,000 under going through those first two months of mm -hmm. what the record would be. And when I look at these graphs, it's kind of hard for people to visualize them, but it looks, September is fairly consistent, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's not a whole lot of fluctuation year to year in September, but October, it's kind of like, if for example, in October of 2015, it was uh, 20, a little over 20,000 deer, right? Mm -hmm. In October of 2016, a little over 12,000 deer. Yep. So the fluctuation there is just much, much different. What do you think the reason for that is? That, that is two parts for the most parts, weather and acorns. Weather I mean, acorns? And what's driving that is that October muzzleloader season in mm -hmm. the youth season. Okay. You know, if, if it's hot and it's not great hunting conditions, we're not going to see a very high harvest during those two weekends, and that's what drives October. So there's something else I'm looking at on this October graph, and I wish that people could see this like we're looking at it. And these graphs are going to be available online somewhere, right? They're in the press release? Um, yeah, but but aren't those from the... These were emailed Your harvest reviewed? Yeah, you can just go to your... They'll be in the, at least the, the season. Telecheck report. review. Yeah, no, some of these are some of these are telecheck review. But so basically yeah. what I was getting at, if you look at October's harvest from 2010 to 2015, right? So those five years, you see a slight increase every year, then a drop off in the year four and then way up in year five. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the past five years, it, it pretty much mirrors exactly what happened there. Yep. The exact same trend on the graph. And so is there something like a six year trend with deer harvest or anything like that? Not, not that we've ever really looked at to compare it across years. Um, you know, I don't know if maybe know. EHD or you know anything like that, genetics or passing down immunity. I mean, it just looks to me like the graph is almost mirroring itself the past five years from the five years before. Yeah, when you look at October, it looks like that. When you plot yeah. that on a graph, um, something we could look into, but have never really uh, delved into it. When I think about. Uh, those things that drive our harvest, weather, yeah, weather acorns, and participation. EHD, participation, all of those things. So, um, You always yeah. say that participation is the number one driver, right? Yes, without a doubt. And I'd say weather drives participation almost mm -hmm. as much. This year might be a little bit different because of you know COVID and everything going on. I'd say that has an effect on participation too, but 
seems like you know there's fair weather hunters yep. and fair yeah. weather is going to result in more deer what was that lee um sorry you just dropped uh, notes talking yeah about I, was, I was actually <laughs> speaking to myself all right again but i mean i mean don't you think that's universal hunting fishing everything yeah. it's all weather dependent mm -hmm. i mean you know we have a wonderful warm April, then we have great license sales. We have a crappy cold April, then we fishing license sales go down. Um, and one thing that I've noticed is um, so much uh, since COVID's happened, uh, you know, you could just, people are just like on the, you know, like a bunch of rabid animals. I mean, waiting on the go line and if they get even a crease of a chance and it doesn't matter, yeah. they're going. I mean, everything has just been blown out this year. And you're just looking for something to do to get outside. Yes, I mean, and, you're going crazy. A, you know? a great way to release that kind of stress. And Whereas years before, they may have said, eh, it's crap weather, it's bluebird, I'm, I'm gonna go I'll I'll to the garage. One yeah. of the best ways to get away from COVID, because when you go hunting mm -hmm. or fishing, for the most part, fishing sometimes not so much, but when you're hunting, when I'm in the deer stand, it's like COVID doesn't exist because it's yeah. exactly like it was last year. Yeah. Year <laughs> yeah, it's one of the only things you can do where it's, it's like- good for your mental health. It's the exact Absolutely. same. Absolutely. I mean, it, and you know, and this year too, there's not many sports going on. There's not much act, extracurricular activities at school. So parents are looking for things though. They also have that free time where they would have been running kids here and there. And now mm -hmm. they're like, man, I've got a bow I ain't shot in a while. Or yeah. I go pick up a crossbow or so. I mean, you know, it's great for us. What do you think that these, do these numbers, September and October, tell you anything about what might be expected in November? Do they give you any, or is that pretty much weather and dependent too? I mean, no, I mean, I guess I, thinking about how our seasons have been so far and then looking into November, not really. Um, I think we're, you know, we know we had a great September, October. November is going to be a question mark in a traditional sense. Going back to COVID, that might throw everything out the window. But uh, with our modern gun season, I mean, that's where 75% of our season harvest yeah. comes from. And it's going to be late. So coming in late, that usually, we usually see a reduction in the harvest when it's this late. Okay, well, I mean, that's as late as it could possibly be. Correct. The 14th yeah. is literally as late as it could possibly mm -hmm. be. Second Saturday, and that's, I mean, two weeks in. So mm -hmm. yeah. I guess the first falls on a Sunday this year then, mm -hmm. or it did, it's already November, so. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Halloween was on a Saturday. 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 Yep. Uh, a so I have two questions here. I'm not, I'm not sure which order to put them in. Um, I'll just, okay. So these harvest numbers, that when we look at them, they've been up this year. I know, there were some zone changes a few years ago with uh, zone four got changed to one antlerless deer only. Mm -hmm. and we, that's because we're trying to manage those zones differently, trying to increase the deer population in that area of the state. We went yep. to unlimited tags in um, zone one and kind of, we kind of critiqued our, our zones to match the management plan, Correct. right? So does the increased harvest, do you, do you look at that by zone at any point in time? We look at it by zone, we look at it by county, we look at it regionally. We look at every way you can look at it at the end of the year. So my, I have, I have no idea, but my assumption is the zone four harvest are probably lower than they were five or six years ago because of the change drags. That's for sure it will mm -hmm. be, and that's what we were trying to do. And, and when we look at things and we have the four different zone statuses, we really want everybody to be a zone two or zone three. Yeah. And that's yeah. our goal is to get you out of that four, get you out of the one and get you in those sweet spots. So the, so the increased harvest, the high harvest over the, this year and the past couple of years, knowing that zone four has probably been lower, that probably tells us that people in zone one counties, sportsmen and women there, are doing a better job of managing their deer herd. 
Yeah. Well, that's basically what I, when I look at the numbers and I think about the changes to the regs and I see the increase, even knowing that some areas were restricted a little bit, it just lets me know that people in those zone one counties are probably killing more deer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what's that tell you about how our, the sportsmen and women, these numbers are, are managing the herd? Does it give you any insight into that at all? A little bit, I mean, it does. Um, you know, it's straight numbers. I'd, I'd like to look at participation as well on license yeah. sales. I mean, and we'll dig into that. At the end of the year, we'll, we'll look at that number of deer taken by a successful hunter. Mm -hmm. uh, we know uh, traditionally that is 1.3 deer is what an average successful hunter takes. I wanna see that number increase. And we saw that last year, it was mm -hmm. like almost 1.5. So okay. it's the first time in my entire tenure that we've, we've seen a change in that. So that told me that the people that were hunting, they were taking more deer as on a, on a whole. So it used to be 1.3, last year 1.5, which is pretty significant uptake. Yeah, it's I a mean, huge significance. Over the course of hundreds of thousands of, of, of people who are hitting the woods. Um, what's the breakdown on male to female typically? Um, we're about 60%. Wait a minute. That's, I think it's I more think male it's, than female. Isn't yeah, it? it's a little bit more male than female. I want so to say like 57. Like, yeah, I was going to say 55, 45 on those, yeah, something, on those like lines. That. And, I mean, would you ideally want to see more females harvested? It depends, you know. It, it depends on where you're at. It depends on where you're at and what zone. So, you know, we're talking big numbers, but we, when we look at this and we do our analysis at the end of the year, we're going to break it down at that zone level yeah. to see if what we're doing is working and, and what we're what we're proposing. You know, it's been explained to me before. I'm not sure if it was you or Kyle Sams, um, who's acting deer and elk program coordinator right now, who explained it to me. But does are so much more important in managing a population, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why we restricted it to one female deer in zone four because we want the population to expand it's increase yep. and Agreed. in zone one where we want it to decrease that's why it's unlimited because whoever said it said it in this way they said one buck can you know service 10 does multiple does yeah and one doe can be serviced so you could have one buck in an area and if you have a bunch of does you're still going to get that population increase mm -hmm. if you got one doe and a bunch of bucks it's not going to do a whole lot for the population right so. mm -hmm. I, that just seems to me like harvesting those does, especially in zone one, would be the way to manage it. For sure. I mean, that's, and that's why we, we did what we did. And also, the one thing that we haven't talked about was the change in the number of deer you get on your statewide tag. Yeah, that was a big thing for us is that traditionally you just got two. Now you've got four. Yeah. And so for the same money you're spending, you can take up to four. And we really I think that's what helped a lot and why we saw the increase last year is like, man, I've got four tags with this. I'm, mm -hmm. I might shoot an extra deer or two. I think a really good mm -hmm. change to that too is allowing the, the, a buck to be taken on the bonus tag. So it wasn't mm -hmm. just a bonus antlerless tag, it became your, a bonus deer tag. Right. So that you could now, you could, you could take four does on your statewide and then still buy the bonus tag and take a buck on it. Where in, in the past, it wasn't, that wasn't the case. So it might encourage people if they're in the woods with two deer tags to go ahead and take, you know, a doe mm -hmm. or two and then knowing they can just get on their phone and buy another, buy another one. Mm -hmm. now, I've done that before. I've been in the field <laughs> with a deer on the ground and been on my phone buying an extra <laughs> yep. tag before. I have two over the years. So yep, we've been there and that's why we're trying to change some things and make it better. You know, and also going back to 19, another thing, another reason why we saw some increases was it was the first year we had a 16 day modern gun season across the entire Our state. Staff. So we increased by six days in zone three and zone four. Uh, for those hunters, so uh, giving them a little more opportunity. You know, when I'm online right now, I can, you know, I'm part of these Facebook groups where people are talking deer hunting, and you get everybody's opinion, yeah. right? Everybody has different theories. And um, one of the things that I see people debating about most is the rut, what causes the rut? 
and I'm looking at the weather for next weekend. Right now it's showing opening weekend highs in the mid 60s, mm-hmm. which is pretty warm. Yeah. And my, I mean, I like it when I'm, you know, I can see my breath. Yeah. So what do you think the, the biggest driver of rut activity is? Without a doubt, it's photo period. That's what I was going to yeah, say. Photo yeah. period is what drives it. They're going to do their it's thing. It's the same every year. Yep. They're going to do their thing, whether it's 90 or it's 20. Yeah. They might just move a little more, being a more nocturnal. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's photo period that drives it. So that's the main thing. I'm sure that some good, cool, crisp morning, maybe it just feels like better deer hunting weather when you're out there. You, you expect, you know, when I'm out there and it's, and it's 25 degrees and there's a hard frost on the ground, I expect to see yeah. more activity, but really you're saying it, it all comes down to length of day. It does. Yeah. I mean, and so much of it, the rut's here or it's not here. It's all based upon your perspective of a sit yeah. and what you can see. And yeah. if you sit in a stand for four hours and don't see a deer, the rut's not here. Yeah. And then you sit for four <laughs> hours that evening and you got deer everywhere. The rut's all of a sudden, it's going on right now. <laughs> I mean, and that's not, I mean, it just, you were in a bad spot that morning. That's just, that's just hunting. So, yeah, so much of that is your perspective on what is going on. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, you it's know, pretty consistent. I think deer individual, like, I mean, they, they aren't all the exact same animal. They don't all, they, you know, it seems like different deer, like, young bucks probably get triggered a little bit differently than a big mm-hmm. mature buck and it's not like every deer is feeling the exact same thing at the exact same time right so really the rut's like what well, when the bulk of the deer the biggest majority of them the majority are. of your does are coming in or in at that time yeah. so i mean when you we look at our our breeding chronology of our female deer i mean we know we have some that, that cycle in october mm-hmm. the majority in november and then we see some december and january yeah. and so i mean in that period is spread out for a couple weeks. I mean, yeah. they're all different. They all have a different timing. Does it have uh, anything to do with the age of the deer? Age, health, all of that mm-hmm. uh, plays a factor, um, just just like we do. I okay, mean, it's I a, didn't know. It's a variety I, of things. In early muzzleloader season, I'll, I'll talk about that hunt here in a little bit, but I went out in the evening after I harvested a buck and uh, took Kristen with me and she was just, we were just watching. Yeah. Well, I had a gun with me and I, <laughs> you know, I, was, I, I told her we can't just go watching. It's deer season, I've got the firearm. She, you know, she's a little bit indifferent, but I wanted her to get out there. And there was a buck dogging a doe the whole time we were there. I mean, he, I saw him run two miles in the field in front of me, but that was just that buck triggered by that doe. Right. And, you know, yeah. that didn't speak. And there was other does in the field. He didn't care about them. So really when rut comes in, it's, you know. It's all about volume. Yeah. It's the number there. I mean, and you were talking about age and where, where we see age really playing a factor in, in rut is in January. So some years you'll see a little up, uptick in, in rut behavior uh-huh. in January, and that's directly a result of fawns that are coming into to estrus for the first okay. time. So if you have a fawn that's born early and we have a good uh, acorn crop or a cool weather to where they're extremely healthy, they can cycle and they can actually come into esters in January. Doesn't that have something to do with their body weight? It does. It's got to do with body weight. I mean, it's it's a variety of things that, that we think control that, but it's body weight, age, health, For fat, some, all those. For some reason, 80 pounds is in my head. Does that make, uh, some reason I'm thinking 80 pounds, but uh, that might've just been something I read on one of those Facebook sites I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, I mean, it, it <laughs> might know? be I, I'm the exact number, but I mean, it's, yeah weight is relation to health. So, so if, if we had some fawns hit the ground early and had a good acorn crop, there's a chance that we could get a sec, a good second late push. To me, I, I would expect a, a good January rut this year. I mean, we had a good healthy crop of, of fawns like we always do. Fairly cool summer. It was wet, but wasn't terrible. We had good conditions and then we had a good acorn crop. So yeah. all of those things, I think we'll see some decent 
breeding activity late uh, so because of that. one of the last things I wanted to hit on here was uh, some tactics for modern firearm season and you know everybody's got their spot everybody's spots different you know it's going to be different if you're hunting eastern Kentucky or if you're hunting a big block of woods or if you're hunting crops you know a horse farm everything's going to be different for everybody but is there any just general this is a good idea or a good approach or a good thing to look for I mean, if, if you're modern gun hunting, I like to kind of get in the edge somewhere and somewhere where I can cover a handful of distance yards. Yeah. I mean, a couple hundred yards to really see well and, and take advantage of my rifle. Yeah. Um, you know, I like to try to find a field edge, but that's where I'm hunting in the central yeah. part of the state. Yeah. If I'm in East Kentucky, I'm going to think about a saddle or a, a big open bench mm -hmm. somewhere where I can see well. Um, you know, one thing that a lot of our hunters like is is uh, green fields and, and corn piles. And I'm not real sure that's gonna be an effective place to, to hunt this year. I mean, there's still gonna be deer, deer there, but we had such a good acorn crop that, I mean, they're probably gonna still be eating acorns um, at this point. So you might not see that activity that you're traditionally seeing at your our, corn pile or, or food plot. Our last podcast was with Cody, Cody Roden yeah. and it covered uh, the mass crop. Um, and we talked about how whites are good early and reds are, are you know, better off late but yep. because of the tannin. But do you think that by this time of year that the that's they're pretty much Yeah, know, the red, the reds should be good. I mean I was out squirrel hunting the other day and I started seeing some reds already kind of popping and busting mm -hmm. a little bit. Yeah. So I mean that, that Do you think me. the white oaks have been depleted by now? Or you I would think say the majority yeah. that's what I was yeah. wondering. Yeah. That's a hard time the red about. oaks are better than the white oaks this year. So yeah. Yeah, and as they're on the landscape talk to me about this before a lot of those tannins kind of leach out of them they become more palatable yeah the longer the deeper you go so basically during modern firearm season all oaks are good oaks yeah, yeah by that point yeah. especially as late as it is what's something I wanted to ask is uh you know hickory was average and beech are poor do you know do deer eat many hickory nuts or many beech nuts? No, they definitely don't hickory. I mean, I'm sure they might gnaw on one, but I'm just not sure they've even got the power to break a hickory nut, uh, even when it's out of the hole. Yeah, that's come, come up into debate before. Yeah, I'm not real comfortable. Beech, I'm not real sure. I do know we had a bumper crop of beech last year. Yeah, and so it's, this it's year it was poor. Yeah, I expect it to be poor because it was so good last year. So when I think about where to set up, I'm, I feel like I'm driven like a bow hunter. I think about those yeah. those pinch points and funnels, and I'm looking for spots where the deer are going to come in close. But really, like you said, during modern firearm season, if you've got a comfortable range of 150 yards, might as well increase your odds. Because, yep. I mean, during the rut, you, you've you seen it a hundred times. Everybody who's driven a car has seen it. Those deer, there's no real rhyme or reason to why they're running where why they're running. Why they are where they are. Yep. You know, that, I mean, they'll just like, straight through the middle of the field and do six figure eights around it, you know? Yeah. Like, you just got to be out there. Yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. You Teenage boys at the sock off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They do some crazy stuff during the rut. So. Speaking of that, Kristen actually bagged her deer on Wednesday. Nice. Uh, no, I, I don't know if I'd say oh, that. Uh, her car didn't appreciate oh, it much. Oh, no. But it was... Oh. Uh, it was like at two o'clock in the afternoon and it, it was probably 77 degrees that day and uh it was actually a wma deer that so huh. but uh so that just tells you that you know this time of year there's not much of a rhyme or reason 77 degrees uh dead middle of the day i mean just this seems to be like the poorest hunting conditions like this bluebird day we're having today you know? yeah it's, yeah just you know those shimmering beautiful days are the worst for fishing and the worst for hunting mm -hmm. i'd much rather have an overcast grizzly day yeah. fishing or hunting i personally like a bluebird frosty cold morning but you know i love the, i love those mornings where it's cold it's clear and it's crisp 
but then once the day gets here, it's usually pretty crappy after yeah. the first hour or two. Yeah. I like I, I like overcast and I like cold. It yeah. can't it can't be too cold. Yep. You know I like the five degrees and the colder the better for me. But just thinking about Kristen hitting that deer made me think that. What do you have to say about deer collisions? November is the highest month. <laughs> yeah. Did you mean, total her call? Yeah, uh, it's at the shop. They're trying to decide if it's totaled. I kind of hope it is. <laughs> uh, you know, hey, honey, yeah. 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 Exactly. We need a truck. <laughs> well, she needs something she can haul her own kayak on. I mean, that's too much of my responsibility. But um, so really, the deer, the automobile collisions highest in November, right? And that directly corresponds with the rut, the season, the, you know, the the rutting season. It has nothing to do with our hunting season and yeah. the hunters affecting their movement. It's it's really like ugh, I can't speak directly related to the rut. So yeah. you know, as you said, you have to be cognizant of them all the time this yeah. time of year, whether it's two o'clock in the afternoon and it's ninety or five a.m., six a.m. when traditional deer movement. So I wish we could put a. Well, I know we do this with bears, not a Fitbit. I was going to use Fitbit. I wish we could put like a tracker on a deer and see how much movement they do during September and how much movement they do during October and then compare it to November. And oh, see yeah. I mean, it's, it's like itty bitty compared to this huge yeah. you know, size. So. I had some buddies a few years ago, two years ago, I want to say in Shelby County, and he had this buck on trail camera and it had a pretty distinct, you know, kicker and a couple of features. and. And then it disappeared and it showed up three and a half miles away yeah. on another guy's trail camera. And the, I mean, the, if you were going to drive from one spot to the other by car, you're looking at 20 minutes because of back roads, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, that just gives you an idea. It's not, I think home range kind of goes out the window a little bit. And this time of year, you know, if I still had a buck tag, I wouldn't necessarily be relying on what I had on trail camera. No. Because new no. deer are going to be showing up all the time. And, and nearly every buck, and we've looked at this on GPS studies on bucks, they make multiple forays out of their home range. When you, when you, you know, air quote home range where they spend the majority of their time, they'll take these excursions and they'll go out for a couple of days and it makes no rhyme or reason why they go where they go. And then they'll go out and they'll come back. Sometimes they might make that exact same foray. Sometimes it might be in a different direction. Um, it's just, you know, we, you know, as we learn more, sometimes it's back to their natal range where they were born. Hmm. Sometimes it's completely different. They've never been there. Uh, it's just, it's interesting why they do what they do. And some bucks, I mean, they're individualistic, just like we are. Yeah. Some of them are homebodies. Some of them are more of a roamer. Um, you know, they're just unique. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, sometimes I think that, um, you know, like when I'm looking at where to hunt, sometimes more in the winter, I'll be like, okay, south facing hillside, mm -hmm. you know, and in the, if it was really hot in September, I'd say, oh, they're going to want some shade. They aren't going to want to bake in the sun. But, and that, I think in my mind, that can make them switch up within a home range from right. one area to the other. But as far as just hanging out in this block of woods for three or four days, now I think I'm going to measle over here with mm -hmm. no weather rhyme or reason to it. Mm -hmm. And I guess it is really just a animal being an animal yeah. in a way. Yep. The, th the thing to think about, and we hear this a lot, and it frustrates me, so I, I always like to bring it up, is everybody loves running cameras, and I understand it's cool what it's no, going to do. I love it. <clears throat> and then you hear, I don't got anything worth shooting. Yeah. No, you do. Go hunting. <laughs> I mean, like, get out of the house, get off the couch, because this is the time of year when those deer show up, or you might not have traditionally had something, and then, boom, here's a big deer. He was on your place for two days, and you you didn't check your camera for 72 hours. Yeah. So, and now he's gone. So, you know, go hunting. Get out there and go. Don't let that camera dictate when you go and when mm -hmm. you don't. Yeah, trail cameras have done a lot and also hurt a little yeah. bit at the same time. I love a cell camera. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, yeah. that's a lot of fun. 
Unfortunately, mine took a swim down the creek this year, and it's uh, not doing so hot. Um, so one of the tactics that I think, it's not funny, guys. I enjoyed it. Yeah, sorry. One of the, I'm still paying for the plan for some reason. I need to cancel that. Um, one of the tactics that I, I love, I enjoy, is calling deer in. I love grunting. I love rattling deer in. And it's almost like you get an, a more of an anticipation to it. Like sitting in the stand for hours waiting on deer, I mean, that's fine. I'll do that all day. But when you crack the horns together, that next 30 minutes, like it's, yeah. you're sitting on edge. You're just expecting something. When you hear leaves cracking coming your way, it's like, you know, the heart starts pounding mm -hmm. before you've even seen the deer. Um, what are your thoughts on that for modern firearm season? Because, I mean, I do it. I feel perfectly comfortable doing it. But I could see how some people would say, I don't want to, you know, especially on public land maybe. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I would be a little nervous about it on public land. You know, granted, we all have That's, our orange on, just... but, you know, be, be, it's more to me of, of packing those antlers in. Like if I'm going to be taking antlers to rattle with them, putting them in the pack somewhere where nobody yeah. can see, see them, them and, yeah, and then hiding them in the tree and just, you know, making sure I've got orange visible everywhere. That's great. I mean, I, I don't I wear brown. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah. Don't wear light brown. Yeah. People have like a, <laughs> I, I, I like I'll wear hunter orange during bow season, trying to give them a 25. I, I do during youth season, during muzzleloader if I'm bow hunting. I don't think it affects them at all. But no. some, some people have the stigma in their mind about, oh, hunters orange. Like, it's just so other people can see you. The deer do not care. No, yeah. they don't they, care. They don't care a bit. And I don't understand sometimes why, why people have a stigma against wearing it. They just no. don't want people to see them. I mean, I, I they know. must it's be doing something wrong. I remember yeah, an incident business. where a guy was, it was a crossbow. It was several, quite a few years ago. but shot his buddy through the neck. He was rattling and he had a damn Carhartt suit on, you know, brown. Oh God, panic shot and shot well, his buddy right through the that, neck. That's, yeah. that's on the guy who pulled the trigger. Yeah, you yeah, you I mean, gotta that, know what you're shooting that at. That goes back to hunter education. Yeah, hunter that education. was just, it, yeah. it's on you to know what's what you're shooting at. I mean, and if you're trying to shoot, if you're shooting a deer, you're not just aiming at a brown object. You're picking out a spot. Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, it's you need to be able to see the the shoulder, <laughs> and you need to be able to make out the belly line. You know, this this is a good a good segue to a conversation. So my daughter, I started hunting with her last year. She shot her first deer, and we went out during youth season this year, and we had some deer come in right at dark, and we could visibly see them, but there was no way you could find a spot to shoot. Yeah. She lost it. I mean, just furious that I wouldn't let her shoot. I'm like, you can't see the deer. It's like, but I see them. She could see the outline, but she couldn't see where she wanted to hold the trigger. Yeah. So it was a very, or hold the trigger, hold the, hold the spot. So it was a very good learning experience for her and for me as, as a mentor teaching yeah. her like, you can't shoot this deer because it's not an ethical shot. So it was really cool to, to go through that interaction with her, even though she was really angry. <laughs> the, the, uh, this segment on the, the TV show, we have a, a youth hunt. It was, you know, it's actually Chad's daughter on her first ever deer hunt. And uh, of course, when you go out there, you know, we're basically documenting what happens. We didn't know what was going to take place. But the first deer that came out was a uh, button buck. And it worked out perfect, in my opinion, because um, the mentor left it up to Campbell if she wanted to take it or not. Mm -hmm. And she said, we can wait for a bigger doe, but then she had her practice. She's like, aim at it, pick out the spot. That's it's broadside right now. Mm -hmm. That's how it needs yep. to be. And it was just like a good teaching moment. And, uh, I, you know, if you could, if you had a youth hunter out there or a first time hunter, if you got the opportunity to 
take a you know aim at a deer and, and practice what you're gonna do, mm-hmm. and then let another one come by and actually do it for the for real. I think yeah. that's a good practice. And I do that with my bow every year during early uh, bow season. That first couple of deer that come in, I mean, they get drawn back on and ain't that. Mm-hmm. And I don't pull the trigger. Sometimes I do. But, <laughs> Sometimes um, it gets kind of hard. Yeah, I get pulled back a lot. You know, it, <laughs> it, it really Oops. is. <laughs> yeah. oh, I can't help it. <laughs> I, I promise you. Sometimes it's almost like a reaction when. When the pin settles and it's in the right spot, the finger just wants to go. You know, if they open up that shoulder, that's when I'm. <laughs> that, that lead shoulder opens, and I'm. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, it's yeah, tough. I get itchy. It, uh, and I, I've, <laughs> early season, I've kind of got spots where I'm like, all right, this is a spot that I'm not shooting a doe, just because I don't want if that doe was to run into a bedding area and I was to get in there and clean it and leave scent all over the place. I, that could mess up my buck hunting. Now that I've got my buck tag filled, it's free game and no deer safe, yeah. no matter where they're at. But that adrenaline is tough to overcome. And mm-hmm. you got the, the discipline involved to yeah. refrain. To like that. the, we were at Taylorsville, it's a little off subject, duck <laughs> hunting in the sky. My buddy went up this guy had like five and a half boxes of empty shells and one dove. And then we started watching. He was like, buddy, there aren't too many 60 yard doves you're going to hit. And he was sitting there sky busting at doves and he had no chance. I was yeah. like, I bet he had a good time. Yeah, he did. I mean, yeah, he got to shoot all day. Yep. And, and, and birds he had absolutely no chance in hell of ever dying. <laughs> <laughs> uh, circling back to deer real quick and then we can go as off topic as you want one thing that I, so we talked about kind of where to hunt I, one of the coolest places to hunt one of the easiest places to find right now is a scrape line or a rub line mm-hmm. that's going to tell you where bucks are cruising and um, i mean those things are updated pretty regularly yeah. i mean especially if you can find a community scrape you're probably in a good area not just to see bucks mm-hmm. but to see does also and that's something that you know, if you went out this weekend, a week before season, with how much deer running around, you're not going to mess yourself up if you go walk around the wood lines. And you can find those scrapes and rubs mm-hmm. and get a pretty good idea of where deer are going to be. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe a way to narrow it down a little bit more than just watching an area, is to watch an area where you know they're working. And I love those scrape lines early in the morning. I mean, I, what, when, when do you think they hit the scrape lines most often? Guys? Most of them are at night, but yeah. you know, that first bit of daylight in the yeah. morning, they'll, they'll walk them to Headed to, headed to bed. And if you're looking for a spot to hang a camera right now. That, oh yeah, that's a ton of fun. I think a scrape might be a better spot to hang a, if say ver, a scrape versus a corn pile, if you were thinking about yeah. it, mm-hmm. I would go scrape all day. Yeah, for <clears> sure. All day. And a corn pile, I'm not, I mean, those bucks really, when the rut really kicks in, I don't think they're too awful worried about feet. It seems like they, yeah. some of them run themselves skinny. They're not, they're not really concerned about eating. Um, the yeah. only thing it's going to do is it might congregate your does a little bit, so yeah. they might cruise the periphery just to see who's there and what's yeah. going on, but they're not coming to the corn pile to eat. Yeah, I got it. It's all about the nose for them, I'm assuming. Yep, yep for sure. Um, let's see. Anything new this year that we should know about? New this year? We've, we're pretty much status quo from last year. You know, we 2019 was one of our big changes of all the different season structures and dates and weapons, so no change for this year yeah. in 20. Um, and we're still CWD negative. Don't mm-hmm. don't have any cases of CWD in the state. Correct. There are a few programs though. We've we've increased some of our surveillance and strategies. Um, one thing new that we have is a, a freezer drop off location. Mm-hmm. So if you're interested in donating your deer uh, to be tested, um, you can get on our website under www. I'm sorry, it's fw.ky.gov backslash CWD. And you can learn about the disease there. And then we also have all of our freezer locations across the state. So if that's something you're interested in doing, uh, you, can, you can check that out there. Um, so yeah, I mean, CWD, we're still looking. Um, nothing, nothing's really changed around us 
we're surrounded still, but they've not gotten much closer. Yeah, that's good. Keep it away. Yep. Yes. Keep it away as long Keep as we can. Away. Part of keeping it away, like right now, I have an Indiana buck tag, and I've been hunting Indiana. Yeah. And part of part of keeping it away is being responsible, going in and out of states. Mm-hmm. And I'm prepared, like I'm when I'm prepared to go to the woods, I'm preparing differently for my Indiana hunts than I would for my Kentucky hunts, just because of that. Yep. And I'm pretty much fully prepared to when I go in the woods to to take all the meat off that deer on the spot. And the real further step is instead of, uh, you know, caping it out up its neck and then cutting the head off, I'm prepared to actually take, you know, to cape out the face, Mm -hmm. which is something I've done before. It might be a little bit tough for somebody who's never done it before Mm -hmm. to do it in the woods, but, um, there's videos on the Kentucky field YouTube channel. There's a how to cape a deer if you wanted to watch it, but I'm prepared to cape that deer and skull cap it and bring back, you know, none of the spinal matter, none of the brain matter, because that's where CWD is, right? You know, what I like to tell folks is it's kind of an intimidating thing to cape your first deer. So if you shoot a buck that you know you're not gonna mount, have at it, try it. Once you do it once, you kind of get the, the feel for how things lay and where they are and how to hold and you know, watch a video or two and practice. Uh, and, I would say it's, it's pretty easy. There might be more, aside from the practice, I know taxidermists who are looking for deer capes. Yeah. So if you practice and you do, say you shoot a buck and you decide you're gonna European mount it, you're not gonna get a, a shoulder mount, and you wanna practice caping the deer out, go ahead and cape it out, and if you do a good job and you don't poke holes in it and stuff, talk to your taxidermist and say, hey, I've got this cape, would you want it? And there's a good chance you'd get 75 or 80 bucks for it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times what those taxidermists will do is if they have a client bring a deer in that doesn't have a good cape, maybe it took them a couple of days to find it, and the cape got ruined, then you can sell your cape, or, or the taxidermist, because of the taxidermist license that's required, you know, they can buy your cape from you and then in turn sell it to sell the it other to person. Somebody else. Yep. So you can get yourself maybe a discount on a future mount, or you can get yourself a couple of bucks, and it's a good way to practice, like you said. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would think about that. I wanted to, uh, I didn't realize that Lee didn't know I'd killed a buck, and I thought that maybe going into modern firearm season, I could tell you how that went down. It was like a, it was a much- When was it? Um, muzzleloader, first day of early muzzleloader season, and it was my first deer with a muzzleloader. I'd taken them hunting before, but never had actually okay. shot a Good. deer with a muzzleloader. Good for you. Yeah, you know, I, and not to knock on muzzleloading at all, but just me as an individual, I'm kind of driven towards that bow hunt, yeah. you know. And it was, and I thought it was pretty cool to go out there with a the muzzleloader and take the one. And I still want to take a deer with a pistol one day. I haven't done that. I'd like to. I like to experience a little bit of everything. Like Chad. <clears throat> yeah, the pistol hunt would be pretty cool, um, and I've tried that before, but never pulled the trigger there because I just I, I need a deer from here to this wall. <laughs> Needs to be yeah, close. No, yeah. you know? And I'm sure that I'm capable of taking them further, but when I just want to be sure about it, you know. Yeah. Chad has a 454 Casul. He has the same pistol I hunt with. It's a mule. It's a <laughs> I'm, old of it. I'm sorry, my 357 gives me all I want. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I love the 454, man. That it's a Ruger like. Super Blackhawk or something like that. It's, yeah. it's a sweet pistol. Double action. I think it's important to have a double yeah. action. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love revolvers. super cool, crisp morning, right? It was like 25 or 26 degrees that morning. Frost on the ground. It was Bluebird, like you were talking yeah. about, Gabe. And uh, I basically set up in the situation. It was the side of the farm I hadn't hunted, hadn't scouted. But I knew that the side that I'd been hunting pretty hard had gone cold on me. So I was like, you know what? I've got a, a muzzleloader in my hand. I'm extending my range. I'm going to take advantage of it. And I'm going to go to a new area where I can reach out a little bit further. And um, I set up on a field edge overlooking a big area because I was halfway scouting while hunting. Basically the exact same setup you said you would use. And the wind was supposed to be coming out of the north. So I set up accordingly. Well, of course it's coming straight <laughs> out of the south when I sit down. 
And I start to see does and I, I see a couple little bucks and then I look up and about 300 yards away, there's a big buck. And so um, he was working, he wasn't gonna come in range. 300 yards is way too far with the muzzleloader. And he wasn't gonna come in range so I rattled at him and he kind of stood there and he looked around and uh, you know, about five minutes went by and he was still over there and I rattled at him again and he picked his head up and he looked but you know, he wasn't really feeling it. And then a small buck came right, right out of the woods right next to me. <laughs> And uh, when that small buck was, was standing there, he looked up and he was like, oh, okay. And so it was that visual that, that got him committed. He started marching his way across the field and he got to about 150 coming straight at me. And then all of a sudden I, I could see my breath that morning and I saw my breath switch and just start going directly towards him. And it didn't take five more seconds and he stopped and he was going nose up in the air and smelling the air. And I was like, well, he's got me now. So luckily I had a set of shooting sticks I got on him 150 yards and he was facing straight towards me. And when he turned broadside to start walking away, squeezed it off. And you know, the, the weird thing about a muzzleloader, it's, it's different when you're shooting on a bench or a rest versus in the field. And like I said, this is my first muzzleloader hunt where I'd actually shot a deer is you got that, you got that initial percussion mm -hmm. and then the shot. There, yeah, there's it's that, that delay. It's, it's, yeah. it's just, even in the most modern muzzleloader, you still have a slight delay. Yeah. And it was a nice modern muzzleloader, but that delay, I mean, you're talking about a lock time on a, on a rifle of like a thousandth of a second. Mm -hmm. Muzzler, I mean, it feels like it's a quarter second. It probably isn't that long, but I mean, that's what it felt like. And that little bit of delay through, just caused me to, you know, my shot wasn't exactly where I wanted it. I wanted it right behind that shoulder. And I went back and I, and I saw the deer go into the wood line about a hundred yards after he got shot. And I was like, well, I can tell that he's hit pretty good. So we, uh, didn't track him immediately. We gave him 12 hours laying there and I actually had a, a friend with a, uh, a blood dog come out and I put her on the trail. I said, here's where I saw it go in the woods and where there's blood at. And that dog took off running. Like, I mean, it had no second. Rachel's? Yeah, it was Rachel's. <laughs> she, that dog, and it's only like five months old. Oh, no. That dog took off just running. And at one point it- I it, did hear about this story. It, it, it was running and it, and it stopped and it backtracked about five feet and then it got on another trail and it started going this way. And it took six minutes and seven seconds for nice. that dog to find that deer. And he was just piled up next to an old, pretty much dry pond. And the thing was, when, the, when we got up to the deer, the, the dog was going and we saw the deer laying here. The deer was laying 10 feet away. The dog just passed it right up. And we were like, oh, and she walked into, the dog actually went into this muddy pond and got all, you know, in the mud, like it was going for a swim. And then when we looked at the deer, it, its legs and hooves were just caked in mud mm -hmm. up. So that dog was actually tracking that exact track into the pond where the deer had originally gone. It was pretty impressive. That's mm -hmm. cool. It was cool. It was really cool to see that dog work. I've seen it recover three deer now. And uh, those, those tracking dogs, mm -hmm. I, I, I would hate to have a nose that good because it's just, <laughs> I mean, if I had a nose that good, I'd be miserable all the time. I'd probably have a completely different opinion of people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's a, so that's how that buck, that's how that buck went. He was a good, big, mature nine-pointer, not a monster. So is your muzzleloader an inline percussion cap? Yeah, or actually, it's Chad's muzzleloader. Hmm. I borrowed Chad's muzzleloader, went out and I'd uh, borrowed it. I'd hunted with it last year, but never pulled the trigger. Shot it last year, took it out and shot it Friday made sure it was good. I actually took it over to my uncle's. That delay on the old traditional flint yeah. lock is yeah. even greater. significant. Boom! <laughs> 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 yeah. My uncle has a, uh, a shooting range set up at his house. And so I called him and told him I needed to, I wanted to shoot this muzzleloader. And I went over there and it's a 52 cal. 
and um, mm. he had some rimfire targets set out there at 100 yards, little hanging uh, squ metal squares. <laughs> I was like, you care if I shoot one of those? He said, no, go for it. And so I aimed at one of them, and I re remember seeing in the scope that little metal square flying 50 yards. <laughs> so much for that. I was like, well, it's on. <laughs> yeah, but I had to repair his uh, rimfire targets. <laughs> Uh, very cool. <laughs> so I only had one more thing I wanted to get to. Gabe, I know you're busy. You probably got some stuff to knock out. Anything you guys wanted to get to? Well, one thing I wanted to ask is um, the row of soft mast as we go along. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's something that's really never talked about. Um, yeah. So what's your opinion on the row of soft mast as we go along? Can you along? define soft mast for me? Um, you know, your, your, your fruits, fruits and berries, your berries, yeah, yeah. your things yeah. of that nature. Hedge apples count? Yeah, uh, hedge apple, they're just... They're fun to hit with a baseball bat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they're fun to shoot with a 22. Kind of, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I shoot them and kick them and throw them at people. Yeah. Um, so we're talking persimmons. Persimmons, yeah. yeah. I think persimmons, apples, pears, peaches, that kind of stuff, uh, people uh, think about. Persimmon, I love a persimmon tree, especially after your first frost. I mean, they clean the ground. Everything likes persimmon when it's, when it's dropping. Um, you know that well, it usually takes that first first frost to really set that. They're heinous eat. before you do. Oh yeah, they are not the fruit of the gods before <laughs> the frost. They are awful. Makes uh, a little sour candy. Yeah, they're nothing. They're pretty rough, uh, but they they work well. Um, if you've got an apple tree that's dropping, you know all those things work. They like them. They'll they'll key on them um, if it's available. It's just depending on where you are in the state. You know you're not going to see a lot of those here in the bluegrass or mm -hmm. you know the central part of the state at least is apples and fruit trees but yeah i mean they, they definitely like them so my dilemma the decision that i'm looking for input on because i'm stuck is in my car right now i have all my fishing gear i have all my bow hunting gear and i have all my coyote gear right and the reason my fishing gear is in there because i i went yesterday to a farm pond me and Kristen, and we took hunter with us and we fished this farm pond and he got on the track of three different rabbits while we were there and if, he's a beagle so he just went nuts just running rabbits all over the place and when we got done fishing, I said, where's his collar? He lost it somewhere, right? And I didn't, I mean, I went and looked for it for 10 minutes. I didn't see it, no big deal. But last night I was sitting there and I, I opened up my phone, I unlocked it. And I don't know if you can see, but my picture is Hunter there with his mm -hmm. collar on, right? And I started looking at my pictures of Hunter and he's had that collar for seven years since he was a puppy. <laughs> and I started feeling like a little sentimental to me. Like, I was like, all my pictures of Hunter, you know, back in 2014, 2015, <laughs> and he's wearing this collar and all of them. And I, I just kind of miss that collar. So I'm thinking, do I go back out there and search high and low for this dog collar that really has no real value other than just sentimental value? Yeah. Or do I go deer hunting or do I go coyote hunting? And it's, How'd I mean, you it's, do the farm pond? How'd you do? Oh, uh, let's not talk about that. Well, yeah, it wasn't very good. Well, then that would play a role yeah, for me. That, yeah, that plays in mean, If but I could get a collar and a fishing event out of it. Yeah. So. Well, I might just been using the wrong tactics, you know. Um, Kristen caught some fish, but she was throwing a swim bait. I went slow thinking that the bass might be a little lethargic right now. We didn't catch anything good. And that's a farm pond that produces big fish. Yeah, I think it's a little hot and a little bit sunny to coyote hunt probably. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're definitely being active right now. And I, I think I've got a couple of groups pinned down or I can go watch deer again. You know, what would you guys do? I'm thinking that uh, for some reason I'm being pulled towards finding that collar. Well, you've, you've taken your buck so that you doesn't have that drive there. Mm -hmm. You're talking to the deer guy. I'm going to go sit in the deer woods. Well, Sorry. here's another thing. <laughs> I mean, that's just kind of where I am. So Kristen, being a nurse, uh, works 12-hour shifts Saturday and Sunday, so I'm free. I'm yeah. wide open. I could potentially, I'm thinking about making a trip to Indiana and, and hunting up there. And, Today? Uh, tomorrow. 
I don't think I have time after work today. Yeah. It's getting dark. At yeah, it's hard, oh, it's yeah. hard to, hard to bum, hunt bum, 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 yeah. Yeah. Getting home from work and having a 45 mm -hmm. minutes of daylight is, you know, I would like, I mean, it's kind of nice having it be daylight when I'm on my way to work in the morning, <laughs> you know, because it was, it was dark when I was showing up yeah. until the time change. But I realized that now that I'm driving east to work, I'm not as big a fan yeah. of the sun being up uh, on my way in. <laughs> I will say, as a parent, I like it now because it's not dark when I'm walking my kids to the school bus. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it makes it for a rough evening. Oh, well. Well, yeah, so I'm thinking about hunting this weekend. And, uh, I might... Well, since you're going tomorrow, I'd go to the farm park. Yeah, I think I would, too. I mean, it's going to be warm this afternoon. Farm I flushed a rabbit this morning taking the trash around. Oh, our neighborhood's when, full of them. When rabbit season opens up, I think that's the 16th. Mm -hmm. Coming soon. I'll be back out there with a shotgun. Yeah. Hunter's not much of a rabbit dog, but if he he can, he can bust them up and run them a little bit, you know. He just he, sometimes he gets a little bit lost on the. Leroy trail. wants me to come out rabbit hunting with him. Rabbit. You should. Yeah, Madison County. Trip. Yeah, I've, I've hunted that farm. I love rabbit years. hunters. I can't believe I didn't rabbit hunt more. I mean, I guess I didn't really have anybody yeah, growing yeah. up, but and it really took me accidentally getting a beagle to to be like, hey, this is a lot of fun. Because for mm -hmm. years, our the day after Thanksgiving was traditional rabbit yeah. hunting day in our family for years. Yeah, it's a lot of fun rabbit hunting. You can go out there and you can talk and you can you know shoot the breeze and you don't got to be quiet and you get to see the dogs work and when you flush one it's exciting yeah there you go no that's fun well i'll tell you what guys i think we probably covered enough for today we've been going for about 50 minutes so nice. we say we uh call it quits and get some lunch and get back to everything else we have going on sounds good good luck to everybody get in the woods. yeah have a have a great modern gun season i think it's i, I think the weather's a lot better now I looked at the long range, and you're gonna have chances of rain and overcast skies, which is. I'm, I'm fine with the know. chance of rain. It's a, I think I saw 50% chance roughly, mm -hmm. but we're also still seven days out. Yeah. So yeah, things yeah, will change. change. I think we're looking right now at highs in the mid 60s, lows in the upper to mid 40s, and about a 50% chance of rain that Saturday and Sunday. And I'll be out there. I'm, I'm trying to get a buddy out. I've got a buddy who, uh, he's a, he's a big time fisherman. It's a guy I fished on the river with a lot this summer. He's a big-time fisherman and a big-time bird guy. He was actually at the Shelby County Public Field uh, the same day we were. And he, he likes pheasant. He's been inviting me to go pheasant hunting up in Indiana with him. But um, I think I'm going to try to get him out there behind the rifle and get him some deer meat this year. That's, that's my plan. I've, I've taken my buck, so on to my kids now at this point. Let yeah. them... Let them start shooting some deer. Got a few years left. Yeah. Yeah. There, but. That field was kind of like the opening of the Battle of the Somme or D-Day. <laughs> <laughs> Not a good place if you're a dove. <laughs> we, we were in the middle of the field. And by the time any dove got to us, it was just like a picket's charge at Gettysburg. <laughs> it's fun though, man. <laughs> boop, 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 yeah. oh, I, yeah. I didn't kill a dove. There were birds day. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Never got to me. I didn't kill a dove at that field that day. I did go somewhere else and kill some, but it was, it was still fun. Yeah. yeah. I like the dove field. It's, That's a, it's a good experience. Kind of like the same thing with the rabbit hunting. It's a good experience. Even if you don't get to shoot the rabbit and just being out there is kind of fun. Yeah, my brother and I are going to get back on putting one. But we had great shoots. It was only like half acre field, but we yeah. would have really good shoots out there. Yeah. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. I appreciate you guys stopping by. Thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you, Gabe. Yep, it was fun. And, uh, we'll look it to was do, fun. We'll look to do another one before too long, Lee. It's, we took too long this time, but that's because we had this one scheduled yeah. um, in advance. We, we knew we were going to do this today for quite a ways out because what we were waiting on is – I wanted to be able to get that weather forecast for next weekend, mm -hmm. so we needed to be within, you know, a, a reasonable time of there, and we also needed it to be in November because we needed these harvest need October numbers. Yep. yep. So, so this is pretty much when this one had to be. That's why it took an extra week, but we'll get back at it before too long. Good deal. Appreciate it. Mm -hmm.